0: Uh, Tony, I sure appreciate him and his willingness to serve and jump in last minute. He didn't plan on leading singing this morning, but I sure am thankful for it. Appreciate his spirit. Amen. First Samuel chapter fifteen and James chapter four. First Samuel chapter fifteen and James chapter four. If your phone's turned on, now would be a good time to turn it down. Although I do love hearing Miss Darla's Jetsons, his boy Elroy. <laughs> Yeah, I love the Jetsons growing up. (laughs) Amen. Oh, I love our church. I love the people. I love the spirit here. I love the unity that we have. I love our new water machine back there. (laughs) Amen. I've been using it for tea the last couple of days. It works pretty good. Amen. We're at the flea market yesterday, and a man uh, was given a track, and he said, How can you you can't really know that you can go to heaven? And the reply was, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that what you may know know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. I am so glad that we have a no-so salvation. The the, the creator of the universe is didn't send his son to die and to be tortured and murdered on a cross so we could have a hope-so salvation. Not even close. Every religion in all the world, every religion is works-based, except for the truth. It's by grace only. Amen. Jesus said in Matthew, he said, ye do err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Whoo! We err not knowing the scriptures. That's not just talking to the lost man. That's talking to us. Our lives would be far better if we knew the scriptures. Your marriage would be far better the more you know the Bible. The more that we understand this word of God, you know what? We're going to have a better work experience. We're going to have our family is going to be far better. Our worship service is going to be far better. Our mentality is going to be, our wisdom will be much better. But the problem is we don't know the scriptures, so now we err. We err. And we don't understand the power of God because we don't know the Scriptures. <clears throat> our lack of faith isn't derived from our church attendance. Our lack of faith isn't derived by showing up to a prayer meeting or to Sunday school or, or, or to anything or the flea market. Our, our lack of faith isn't derived from the, 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 the hymns or, or as many hymns as we do or don't sing or if we sing the third verse or not. That's, our lack of faith isn't derived from that. Our lack of faith comes from not knowing the scriptures. Because the more that we know the scriptures, all of a sudden we have a fervency in our marriage. And all of a sudden we have a fervency for our testimony for Christ at work. All of a sudden we have a fervency in our worship service. We know more what we're singing about, so our worship is more pure than it ever has been. With that... I'd like to look at the anointing of David this morning. Brother Tony, would you open in a word of prayer, brother? Even in our daily Bible reading, uh, uh, the more we know the scriptures, boy, it really helps us to understand what we're reading. Context, context, context. Amen. So often somebody will get burned out of reading the word of God, or they might come to church, or they might want to start serving the Lord a little bit more, so they're going to say, I'm going to just pick a spot and I'm going to read. Ten minutes later, they're like, I have no idea what this is talking about. This makes no sense to me. I'm going to give up on trying to study or read. The more we read, the more that we understand what we're reading. <clears throat> I started, the, the message I started studying for isn't the message that we ended on. The message I'm preaching isn't what I started studying. We're in uh, First Samuel chapter 15. I started out in 17, 18. That's where I started reading. But to understand the context more, I, we've read this before. If you've been in church or what, you've read this. If you read your Bible, you've read these stories of David. But, I, but I'm reading this, I'm like, you know what, i got to, i, I got to refresh my mind on that, so page back a chapter, okay, back a chapter, I'm going to read back a chapter, yeah. read back a chapter, next thing you know, you've done read a whole lot of, just to get the context of what you started at, yeah. context is important, <clears throat> we're in first Samuel with chapter 15 this morning, that's where we're starting, but really, in, in chapter 12, Saul is made king, right. and, and there's a whole amen preaching series on that. i, I got to not chase that rabbit. But it's a whole message, amen. <clears throat> but by chapter 15, Saul's already messed up. He's already messed up. And in, in the span of time in three chapters, is at least five years. <clears throat> probably not any more than ten. But but Saul, the king Saul's already messed up and, and God has already chosen another king. <clears throat> God told Saul, Saul through Samuel, to utterly destroy the Amalekites. So what does Saul do? Just like any one of us would do. is so often we obey God, like partially, or maybe even half, or maybe even 60%. Saul was told to utterly destroy the Amalekites. He didn't. He utterly destroyed... What he deemed utterly destroyable. And he kept all the good things and all the good sheep and all the good cattle. And he didn't destroy the king. <clears throat> That's where the context is. That's about two hours of reading just to get to there. Amen. First Samuel chapter 15 verse 24. And Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in thy words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn again with me, that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. Saul, Samuel then, you can read it yourself. Samuel then, he kills the king of the uh, Amalekites himself. And, and Saul and Samuel then depart ways. Jump down to verse 35. <clears throat> this is so interesting. I got encouraged reading this yesterday. And Samuel came no more to see Saul until what? The day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul and the Lord repented that he had made Saul king over Israel. That verse right there, for those of you that study your Bible and and those of that have been here on, I don't know if it's Wednesdays or Sundays we went over the witch of Endor. I can't remember. But that is clear scripture evidence that it was truly Samuel who was summoned by the witch of Endor. It's a slight rabbit trail, but I want to point it since we're there. Number one, <clears throat> Samuel was already dead before the day of Saul's death. He was already dead, clearly. Samuel was dead. So then how could Samuel be there at the day of his death? Well, a critic might say, well, well." and if you know your story, <clears throat> Samuel, uh, when he was brought up at the witch of Endor, so Saul was looking to talk to Samuel, and it's an exclusive passage of Scripture for sure. But Samuel made a prophecy saying that in the morning, uh, you're going to be dead. And a critic might say, well, that was the next day. So that means that Samuel didn't see Saul until the day before he died. Hold on. If we're studying our Bibles, what's a day in the Bible? The evening and the morning. So the evening and the morning is a day. So that means that is proof positive that our scripture never contradicts itself. Like Brother Shine was pointing to Sunday school this morning. So in 1 Samuel 15 35, when it says, And Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death, that is absolutely fact. Pretty interesting. So here we have <clears throat> this point in history. Even while Saul is the current reigning king, <clears throat> God instructs Samuel to anoint a new king. <laughs> Can you imagine Saul's, uh, Samuel's position? <laughs> you, you want me to anoint a new king while we have a reigning king? That's what God told him to do. And who is that new king to be? Samuel didn't know who it was yet, but it was a shepherd boy, yeah. one of Jesse's sons. Amen. <clears throat> First Samuel chapter sixteen verse one. First Samuel chapter sixteen verse one. <clears throat> and the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Samuel? Seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill thine horn with oil and go. That's significant, y'all. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehem, Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. Number one, this morning, the significance of the oil. And it's hard not to stay here because it's really, really good. And, and, and there's so much preaching on the significance of the oil. But, but, but if we know our Bibles, oil is a clear representation of the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> If you don't know, when you're saved, when you call upon uh, God and you accept Him as your Savior, not as the Savior or a Savior, but your own personal Savior, there's a difference. Believing on and believing in is completely different. Many people believe that there's a Jesus and believe that there's a God. There's many people that believe that, yeah, God is the creator of all the universe, but they still haven't put their trust in Him for salvation. There's a huge difference. A lot of people call themselves Christians are still going to hell because they're not truly saved. But when we get saved, there's an indwelling of the Holy Ghost that comes inside of us. when we are filled with the Holy Ghost. And then what? We we are a new creature in Christ. First, second Corinthians 517. Amen. Oil is a picture of the Holy Ghost. A little bit of studying. And I got real excited about this. Uh, uh, some of the most nutritious things in all the world is olive oil. I didn't know that. Honey's right up there with it, but olive oil. And you say, okay, well, olives comes from olives. Uh, I'm sorry, o- olive oil comes from olives, and <clears throat> olives comes from olive trees, right? That, that's basic, right? I, I can I, I can hang with that. Amen. <clears throat> But the crazy thing about an olive tree, and this is like shouting ground, is an olive tree will grow anywhere. I mean, like, an olive tree will grow anywhere. It'll grow on stony ground. It'll grow on clay. It'll grow in the muck. It'll grow in the mud. It doesn't matter. An olive tree will grow, and it will thrive in the worst of conditions. They got me thinking of James 4, 5. Go ahead and turn there. James 4, 5. James 4, verse 5 says, Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. You say, well, I got a stony heart. God can't do nothing with me. You know what? There's more grace. The olive tree can thrive in you. Well, I, I've, I've done this in my life, and you don't understand I've had an abortion. You don't understand uh, I, I murdered somebody. You don't understand I was raped. That olive tree can thrive in you because right. he giveth more grace. Amen. Man, I thank God for that. The Holy Spirit can thrive anywhere it's planted. Amen. Amen. Olive oil was always used, <clears throat> still can be, for lighting lamps. They would light their lamps. I mean, come on, let your light so shine before men. I don't even have to preach it. I can just read it. and The application is there. Amen. There's medicinal benefits uh, to the joints and to the heart. There's a whole list of things scientifically you can look at. It's got a sweet smelling savor. There's a lot about olive oil. Amen. But we don't think about applying the power of God that is available. We do err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. The Holy Spirit dwells in each and every believer. We do err not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. Uh, Let's put that another way. We don't even understand the power of God that dwells within us because we don't know the Scriptures. You say, well, we don't want to be compared to the charismatic crowd. You know what God said about comparing yourselves among yourselves? That's not wise you know what, just because somebody else might be wrong on a particular topic doesn't mean that they do something far better in another area that we lack in. Amen. So if we would fill our horn with oil, amen, if we don't fill our horn with oil, we got nothing to share. There's a lot of Christians that have no indwelling of the... I shouldn't... I said that wrong. There are a lot of people that claim to be Christians that have no indwelling of the Holy Ghost. Their horn isn't filled with oil. They got nothing to share. They're going to anoint nothing. Amen. This was interesting too. One more thing on the olive tree. <clears throat> to get the oil, they would smite the olive tree. A lot of Bible right there. I, I, we don't have time to hit it all. The olives then would fall off and they would bruise. Amen. A lot of scripture there. Then they would pick them all up, and then they would wash them. And then they would grind them, and then they'd clean them again. And then, they would, then, they'd, then they'd do the whole process all over again. They'd grind them, then they'd clean them again. They'd grind them, and they clean them again, usually about three times. Then you got pure olive oil. The olive oil isn't the message this morning. It's just a point, but there's so much more there. Hey, go home and study it. Yeah. Study it. The significance of olive oil in the comparison to the Holy Spirit. There's a lot there, amen. One more thing, and I this is awesome. This is awesome. That's the difference of studying and, and reading. Amen. Reading's great. You need reading, but man, studying. I I didn't know what Gethsemane meant. I just thought it was the garden, right? I didn't know what the word actually means. Its name derives from the Aramaic word uh, samani, which means olive press. Think about that for a while. You think God doesn't do things on purpose? He absolutely does. Amen. Everyone who's accepted Christ as their personal Savior has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God told Samuel to fill your horn with oil. Amen. Then go anoint David. Amen. We ought to have our, our, our horns, our vessels filled with oil this morning. And if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, there's no better time than now. Right. <clears throat> it's fresh on the Heim family right now with the past Miss Tammy. What an awful thing. But what a wonderful thing that she came to Christ. Right. Amen. <clears throat> She passed this life with her horn filled with oil, filled with the Holy Spirit. She was a new creature before she passed. Amen to that. The Hyatt family gets to anyone who's saved gets to see her again. Amen. What a wonderful thing. There's an ancient tribe, ancient, uh, uh, how do you say, Arabic. There's an ancient Arabic uh, tribe called, if I could say this right, Bedouins, <clears throat> Bedouins, and they had a name for what we call today Christians, as in God's people. It was called. I'm saying I'm probably butchering the language. Called Masahim, Masahim. They would call God's people Masahim. It was a used. Uh, it was a word that is used to describe God's people as anointed from the olive tree, from God. That's no accident. Ancient. Arabic, I want to say Aramaic, but <clears throat> that works too. They, they put a connection with, <clears throat> that's God's anointed. That's God's anointed from the olive tree, amen. There's something there. <clears throat> we, lack, <clears throat> we lack power because we don't know the scriptures, right. because we don't study. All of a sudden, next time we're singing a song that mentions anything about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we're going to get a little bit more excited because we know more about it. <clears throat> Amen, there's power in that. Amen. Amen. The world ought to look at us and see something significantly different. We're called Christians nowadays. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go, I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite. If I had provided me a king among his sons, and Saul said, How could I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee, and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do, and thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, "Comest thou peaceably? A couple of things real quick. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we just did what the Lord spake and commanded? If at the end of my day, somebody were to say, hey, Daniel Gunther did what the Lord told him to do, did it what the Lord spake, what a blessing that would be. If at the end of Jim Vipon's life, his family could be looking back and say, hey, he did what the Lord spake. Samuel did what the Lord spake. Wasn't always easy. So they asked him, would you come peaceably? Because uh, you don't just anoint somebody else king while there's a reigning king. Uh, that doesn't go over smoothly. Amen. Where was I? Verse uh, verse 5. And he said, Peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Uh, it took a little bit of studying to learn that. But you, know, you know why he said that? <clears throat> Eliab is the oldest son. He's the firstborn of Jesse. Yeah. To all... Logical conclusions, any one of us would have been like, especially in those times, well, it's the next one, it's the oldest son. He's going to be anointed king. Samuel's looking at, alive, they're all lined up. Uh, Presumably, it looks like they're lined up. In my head, they are. He's looking at the oldest son. He's thinking to himself, this is going to be the king. Look at verse 7, but the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or the, on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. I have known men, young men, men that I would think to myself, man, they're so talented, they're so skillful. They know their Bible, they know how to preach. God could use them in such a great way. That's how we're looking at them. God's saying, don't look on the outward appearance. I look on the heart. That's what you ought to be doing. Number one, the significance of the oil. Number two, and this is where we are now, Samuel's patience. Samuel's patience. Samuel's thinking right about now to himself. He's probably, I'm speculating. He's probably thinking, uh, Lord, it's, it's not the oldest son. Uh, okay, well, I'm going to keep going down the line. The oldest to the youngest. Uh, He's thinking, I came all the way out here. How is it not the oldest son? It always is the oldest son. Amen. I can only imagine how Samuel's already under a great deal of stress. Anointing somebody else king while there's a reigning king of Saul. He's thinking it's Eliah, but God says, no, it's not. Let's keep reading. Verse 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. And Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. I thank God for a Samuel that has enough sense to listen to the Lord's leading. How many preachers nowadays would just say, I think this is best, we're going to do it. I'm not going to pray about it. I'm not going to look to what the Lord would have. I'm not going to look for a peace. No, they just make decisions based on their outward appearance. Amen. Look at verse 11. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come thither. I can only imagine what's going through Samuel's head. I made the trek out here. God told me to anoint one of the sons of Jesse. We went through all of his kids. Now there's just the youngest little boy out in the, the shepherd boy. Don't forget, shepherds were the lowest of the low. Right. You gave, you're on a roofing job. It, it, Wyatt can pick up shingles off the ground. That's the lowest of the low job. You pick up shingles off the ground because it takes absolutely no talent, no skill. Right. Try to think if anybody did a roofing job. I'm trying to think if I offended anybody already. It brought anybody on a job with me <clears throat> it takes no effort anybody could be a shepherd not anybody could be a good shepherd but anybody could be a shepherd it was the lowest of the low job they were in the culture they were looked down at as less than nothing so here's saul thinking what's oh, probably all the way out. it's none of these i've been waiting all this time we've been we've been going through all this process and now he's thinking in his head I'm not even going to sit down until we, until we see this little, little boy you guys are going to bring out, this little shepherd boy. Verse number 12. Can I point this out? Because this is important. Samuel is waiting on God. Right. Think about this. Even though nothing seems to be going right like he expected it to go. He's still waiting on God because God said, hey, this is what you're going to do. Go to get one of the sons of Jesse and anoint him. He's being obedient even though nothing seems to be panning out. Guys, how often times like, well, God said go to church. I'm going to go to church. What? My life isn't all fixed because I showed up for church for a service? What? I read my Bible for a week? Shouldn't everything be hunky-dory? God's got to work things out a little bit. A little bit of patience. Samuel's waiting for God to move. He's being obedient for God. But things aren't just happening. like We live in this day and age where it's like, oh, your meal's wrong? You get a new meal for free. You know? Uh, You drop the can of beans at the store? Oh, you get another can for free or whatever. Right? We live in that culture today where we're just pampered to death. I like it. (laughs) But we're spoiled. Patience. Nothing that we got nowadays. Verse 12. And he sent and brought him in. says, now he was ruddy. And with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to, And the Lord said, arise and anoint him, for this is he. You say, what, what's that language talking about? He's saying he was a, a beautiful young little boy. He was ruddy. Beautiful countenance, cute little boy. He wasn't like his oldest brother, Eliab, probably strapping and looked like the part, buddy. Which is interesting because in my studies, in my context reading, Eliab was the one who got nasty with David because he was jealous when David came to, said, hey, let's kill this Goliath guy. Eliab was one that shot his mouth off. Verse 13, then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Number one, the significance of the oil. Number two, Samuel's patience. And number three, David's patience. (coughs) There's so much here that we're... I'm just trying to stay online and hit a point because, man, (laughs) there's a lot of preaching here david was anointed king of israel but but it wasn't time for david to be king david had to wait he was a young boy he talked like he squeaked like that probably when he talked amen david eventually was brought to the kingdom to be a, the harp player for king saul when he'd have uh, <clears throat> a bad day or a bad spirit about him they bring in david because he was a talented musician so all the while, David knows he's anointed king. But he's, he has to be patient because it's in God's time. While he's going back and forth from home, tending the sheep, taking care of his dad, and bringing stuff back for his brothers and, and playing the harp for the king. Meanwhile, this is happening. There's, there, there's a war going on. And Goliath is stepping out saying, who defies the Philistines, blah, blah, blah. David's getting tired of this. During this whole time David says, how's this happening? Let's kill him. And David does through the power of God. The whole time, David had to wait to be king. Not only in saying, I'm going to kill him, but killing him. And then still just being that boy that will play the harp. Just being uh, the, the, the youngest brother uh, of, of uh, Eliam. Being the youngest son of Jesse. He's still just that boy, still waiting to be king. God done anointed him. Yeah. But he had to show patience. Yeah. By the way, David was probably killing bears and lions in the process of waiting to be king too. Amen. Yeah. <coughs> David would eventually <coughs> David would eventually run for his life as a fugitive. I mean, for years and years running for his life. I like watching that alone series where they have to survive in the Alaskan wilderness by themselves. David had a band of men and, and they were basically killing what they ate and just surviving on the back side of the mountain constantly. It wasn't just surviving, but literally the king and his army are after him. Big difference. All the while, David's been anointed king and he has to wait patiently to be king. That's some patience. David had multiple opportunities to kill Saul, I mean, like, over and over. He must, have been, he must have been so silent on the battlefield and slick and wise and cunning. He could have killed Saul so many times, but he didn't, all while waiting to be king. David had patience like we know nothing about. We think that we're patient, but we're not patient. Right. If the air condition isn't working at home and it's my perfect 68 degrees, right. I get angry. Right. I don't know the whole story, my dad could tell it, but my mom and dad were fighting. They were Christians. I don't know if they'd been married a couple years, five years, whatever, but they were younger Christians. They were arguing, and my dad woke up to a post it note on the bathroom mirror. So I said this right. And it said, It's funny now, but when you're arguing, it's not funny, right? Said, my mom wrote, Patience is a virtue. Catch it if you can. Seldom found in women, but never found in man. <laughs> I'm sure that didn't help their argument. Amen. But we think we're patient, but we have no idea what patience is. We have no idea. We want our spouses to grow and mature in the Lord. But it's in their time. We can't force things. We want our marriage marriage to grow in the Lord like right now. But there's patience that needs to take place. We want our children to grow and mature and have the right heart attitude and serve the God and not do this and not do that. But patience. And I'm not good at it. We want to grow ourselves way quicker than we see ourselves growing. I work almost, almost every single night, I work on memory verses. For as much as I work on memory verses, you would think, man, he must really know his memory verses. I do not, not like I should. I work hard at it. And it's frustrating to not know it like I should like that. <laughs> It takes patience. We can only grow in the Lord God's way, and that comes through obedience. Obedience to what? Obedience to the Word of God. What's the Word of God? The Scriptures. We err not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God that's in it. The Gallup poll that the missionary mentioned the other day is uh, for the first time in American history, less than 50% of people that just... Claim to be Christian, attend church. Less than 50%. We, we were riding around that 52, 53% for years, then COVID happened. Now, even less people go to church. Just give it another dec- decade if the Lord stays is coming. <clears throat> Just give it another decade. <coughs> we have, <coughs> statistically, you have children that can even grow up in church, pastor's kids, bus kids, it doesn't matter, kids growing up in church. Statistically, when you reach 18, 19 years old, and move out of the house, done, done with church. Right. Why? Because we err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of it. Right. A lot of people saying, I'm a Christian uh, 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 on the outside, but they've never had their horn filled with oil. Right. I think that happens way too often than we realize. Sure, there's backsliding that happens, Sure. But even in a backsliding situation, say you were saved at a young age or whatever, and then you grow, you, you, grow, you grow further and further from the Lord. How does that happen? Because you never studied. I've said it probably 10 times this year. Take one thing, one thing and study it. Take one thing. There's Christians that have been Christians for 20, 30 years. They never study one thing for themselves. I, I get it. Listen to the pastor, that's great. That's great, but be like the church at Berea. They're more noble than the than the others, and the church at Thessalonica and the others, because they went home and they studied it for themselves. Yeah. The preacher isn't always right. The preacher says things wrong. Brother John proved that. Amen. I proved that before. I've had to apologize for saying the wrong thing. We have a lot of Saul's Saul Christians that they start off. Real good. And Saul had a good two, three years. I mean, he, I mean, it, Israel was doing good, but boy, he finished horribly. Right. A lot of Christians start off real strong with fervent, fervency. They keep it at the shallow plane, and they never study the word of God because they're erring, not knowing the scriptures. My grandpa always asked me a riddle, and I never got it literally until I was like in my teenage years. I was like 16 or 17 before I got it. He would say, no, oh, no, 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 I got the riddle mixed up. My dad would always tell me, if you're going to err, err on the side of caution. I'd go out to go with my friends and go, if you're going to err, err on the side of caution. AIR is all that's in my mind. I had no idea what he was talking about. What's err got to do with caution until I realized ERR, error? Going to err, err on the side of caution. We need Christians that will step out on faith, like Samuel and David, that no matter what's happening, even though it doesn't seem to be going like we expect it to go, we're going to obey the Scriptures anyways, not just partially like Saul did and ruined his life completely, because that's the theme of the American Christian. We're going to obey Lord partially, and our lives will be ruined. Our kids' lives will be ruined. Turn to 1 John 2.27. 1 John 2.27. Way at the end of the book, 1 John 2.27. 3 John's Jude and Revelation. It says, But the anointing, look at this, but the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. Well, a bunch of horns filled with oil if you've been saved this morning. That's wonderful. If you've accepted Christ, you're already anointed. Is what I'm trying to tell you. Don't don't stop his blessings just because of your own stupidity of not knowing the scriptures. Can, can I let you in on something? We have all fallen short of not knowing the scriptures like we should. But don't say, oh, don't compare yourselves among yourselves, brother Tony. It ain't wise. Because well. As a whole, I'm just like everybody else. Hey, hey, study the scriptures. Show thyself approved unto God. God. Amen. You know why we don't like to witness? Well, I don't have the. I don't know what to say because I don't. I don't know. I didn't. I don't know. Because we don't know the scriptures. Right. When you know the scriptures, it's, it's a, Somebody has a question like, "Oh, well, here I'll just show you. It actually says this. You're, it's completely wrong in what you just said, right?" Paul got saved. He was the legalist of all legalists. He gets saved. What did he immediately start doing? Preaching. Did he have all the answers? No. But he immediately started. But what, what should we do when we start, get saved? Immediately start telling people about Christ. Do we have all the answers? No. But we had the most important one. Hey, God saved me. And God's been good to me. And they, and they might, they, you know what? They're going to stump you. He said, you know what? I don't know the answer to that. I'll study it and come back to you. What happens is we don't study it. We don't study it. The fact of the matter is, and in closing here, we see Samuel waited on God and David waited on God, but really God's been waiting on us since the foundation, before the foundation of the world's even began, when he sat and he pondered all of this, waiting for the sinner to call on him and to accept him as their savior. Jesus said himself, Revelation three twenty said, "Behold, I stand at the door knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come to him and will sup with him, and he with me." Jesus has been waiting for the sinner. Jesus has also been waiting for the backslidden Christian to quit obeying the Scriptures only partially. Turn to one more verse. We'll read it in closing. You turn to Hebrews chapter two, verse one. While you turn there, Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, he said, no man, having put his hand in the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. That's the Saul kind of Christian. I'm going to serve God. Well, wait. Oh, there's Egypt over there. That was actually pretty good. Actually, I'm not going to serve God exactly like God said because I know of a better way that's more comfortable for my truth for me right now. Because this is easier for my life and the culture that I live. Wicked, sinful, rebellious. And that's why we don't know the power of God because we don't know the scriptures. Let's close with this verse Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. We're going to go home today. Christian, what are we going to do? Are we going to put our Bibles in the back of the car? And leave it till next Sunday or the next time we show up to church? Or are we going to say, you know what? I want the power of God on my life. I want a better marriage. I want a better work relation with my work people. I want wisdom in dealing with people. I want wisdom in general. I'm going to study the scriptures. Now the power of God's going to rest upon me far more. Because we err not knowing the scriptures. Let's close with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Thank you, God, for your... Word and the power of it. I pray, God, that you would move in this invitation time, Lord. Lord, my voice ain't nothing today.